on this episode of AV Week, bringing AV manufacturing back to the United States. Crestron announces their virtual event and spreading AV standards around the globe. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 462, recorded Thursday, July 2nd, 2020. Put love into it. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Extron, industry-leading technology backed by world-class support. And by Peerless AV, driving technology through innovation. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered for this week. First and foremost, my buddy and pal, Ms. Dawn Mead, also known as AV Dawn on the Twitters and other social. How are you, ma'am? Very good, thanks. Glad to be back. Absolutely. Also with us, uh, two newbies, so Dawn, be nice to them. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Frank Patakala uh, from Diversified. Welcome, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, real quickly, I, I met Frank uh, and got to hang out with him at the Avixa Infocom uh, happy hour uh, a couple of weeks ago when they split everybody in, in, a, in a breakout room. Frank yes. and I were the only two, and I'm That's not right. quite sure. <laughs> I don't know if we smelled or what, but yeah, it was... Just, just plain for us. It was a fancy... Well, it, was, it, was a great, it was a great time just to just Absolutely. two of us, so yeah, it was cool. Uh, and last but not least, uh, Joey Lloyd from the aforementioned Avixa. Welcome, ma'am. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I speak to Joey usually on the back end when I'm asking to interview Mr. Lebuskus and she's telling me no and, you know, this is what you... you know. it's, it's always a no. It's always a no. Damn it. All right. Here we go. Uh, first up uh, from our buddies over at Commercial Integrator, Crestron, uh, who is an underwriter of, of AV Nation, has announced their virtual event called Crestron Next. This two-day event is a showcase. It will showcase the workplace, home, and, and, and education innovation. Crestron uh, said in the uh, Commercial Integrator article that this is not a replacement for Masters. Uh, that in-person event moved virtual this year. Masters, if you're not aware, is a gathering of both programmers and now consultants and uh, designers in the Crestron world. So if you're a Crestron programmer, now you're a designer, you're a dealer. Uh, last year, uh, at the 2019 version, uh, I, I was there and, and able to attend and, and report from there. 1,200 uh, AV professionals were in that one. This, though, is, is, is kind of a, a, not, not a, not a replacement um, for, for the trade shows. Uh, they had announced earlier this year that they were going to CD. Obviously, that's not happening. They didn't, uh, we didn't have uh, Infocom uh, in, in person in Vegas this year. Don, I want to start with you on this. When we're talking about manufacturer-driven events like this, and Atlanta also had one uh, during the month of June, are we going to see more manufacturer-driven virtual events like this? So I think we are, and it's not a new trend. It's new that it's virtual. But this, I think, is a trend that goes back to when some of the big manufacturers started building experience centers. Mm. And instead of bringing the big booth to a show, be it Infocom, um, Cedia, you know, any of the big shows, they, they would just tell you, well, come to our experience center and we can give you the real in-depth tour and show you the detailed. But, and, and it is better than you might catch in a big booth. Likewise, going to an event like this might be better than the 10 minutes you can devote to them at a show, virtual or otherwise, 
but I've mixed feelings. Part of me says, if I am, in this case, a Crestron purchaser, and I have specific Crestron questions, we're in a Crestron ecosystem at our company, and we want to know exactly what we need to know for this, it's a fantastic event. But much like with the experience centers, as opposed to the show, if you're just a casual shopper, if you aren't locked into an ecosystem such as a Crestron ecosystem, or if you're an integrator and you have to represent several different manufacturers, I don't think something like this can replace the actual show, be it virtual or in person, because you're always going to have end users and integrators that need to see all of the above. And it's way easier to see all of the above when you can just walk three aisles over or two mouse clicks over to see the other guy as it is to go to schlep to a different experience center on yet another business day or devote another several hours during a business day to this virtual conference and that virtual conference. So, on, you know, on the one hand, if you're already doing business with these folks and you have specific needs or specific reasons, both the in-person experience centers and these virtual conferences are fantastic. And I do believe we will be seeing more. But as, as a replacement for potentially shows... I still don't see that they'll have the leverage. Everybody wants to because it's a captive audience just for their brand, but we need to look at a bigger picture as end users and as integrators. So um, mixed feelings there. I'm excited about it, but it's it's not going to replace Avixa. Yeah, and Frank, um, Don makes a good point about the experience centers, but the one thing, uh, at least here in the States, and I always qualify that because of, of our size, and you also have company, countries like China and Russia and India uh, sizes, uh, Australia struggles with the size, just geography. There is an experience center. Don could, could be an experience to an experience center. You could be at an experience center in a relatively short amount of time. I live in St. Louis, right? And, and if you're not familiar with U.S. geography, right smack dab in the middle, right? I could get on a plane if I wanted to, and three hours either way, I could be in an experience center. That's, that's the closeness for me. So when you look at, at virtual events like this or the experience center, who benefits mostly from this? Are the, is it the dealers? Is it the end users like Dawn, consultants? Who is the biggest, the biggest winner here for manufacturer-specific uh, events? So I'm going to be very, you know, um, I'm going to give my thoughts on this. I'm a huge fan of virtual events. And, you know, I've made no light of this. I talk about it. I, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that this should eventually replace all trade shows. I mean, I'm, I'm being a little hardcore there, but I feel there is an opportunity here that we have missed out on many years. And I might be one of those positive guys right now who's trying to find the best out of COVID-19, but I think this has forced us to change our perspective and actually look into sales through virtual events as an alternative. I feel there's a huge market for it. I think the biggest beneficiary of these kind of events would be the end users, you know, end users, not just from a, a U.S. perspective. Ultimately, what's our goal, right? Globalization, trying to get technology out there, trying to get into the markets that are right now developing. There are huge developing markets out there. And like you said, it is not practical at all for some of these people to ever get on a plane or a person like myself. I'm an engineer, right? If a corporate company, any, anyone for that matter, I'm not talking uh, representing my own, but in general, if they were to pick a totem pole of who gets to go to a trade show, the engineer would probably be at the bottom of it because. Well, I mean, the, co the, the companies will contact them. Crestrons, the Sonys, the, all these people are going to come to the engineers. But who needs to see it? The salespeople, you know, the people who are up front in front of the clients, right? But what if I do want to see it? 
And that, my friend, COVID-19 has given me the opportunity to take part in CrushCon and VIX. I don't think I would have done all these if it weren't for a virtual event. So there's a huge opportunity here. I think what we need to do, however, and that's where the experience component of it comes into play, right? We need to expand on this. Maybe add virtual reality to this. Maybe add augmented reality to it. Take your clients on a tour of a facility virtually, you know? Why can't we do it? And, you know, I, I was talking to Lenora a couple of days ago, and I'm going to repeat myself again, because this is what I'm saying. We are the experience people. We sell experiences. People come to the experience centers that we build and go, wow, this is almost like I'm there. Why can't we adopt that for ourselves? Let's do it ourselves. You know, I, th I think this is, given, this is giving us an opportunity. Let's just go for it. Absolutely. And, and Lenore, there is Lenore Lane, our, our uh, editor-in-chief, but also the host of our, our Digital Signage Digest show, and Frank was on that. Uh, so check that out if you want. Um, Joey, two different questions, two different points of view. Uh, obviously, you work for Avixa, the people who put on Infocom. Before that, though, this time last year, you were working for a manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So from both points of view, what really is our manufacturers after when they go to both the in-person Infocom when they go to the in-person ISE, uh, but also when they when they put on virtual events or they join virtual events. What's the takeaway? What why why are we why are they spending the money to do either one? I think both my colleagues today have said really wonderful points of view, and we'll start from the manufacturer side. The benefit of going to a show like an Infocom or an ISE or you know a Digital Signage Week is the access to people that are not in our database. Um, we get access to more people, more of the drive-bys, it's, it's bigger, it's more, it's all of those things. Um, and the networking, you know, there is the, the connection and the ecosystem that we have between each other. And even as a manufacturer, I still need to work with the systems integrators and there are other technologies I need to work with and there are other places where I want to integrate. So the shows create that ecosystem and they bring the buyer and seller together exponentially larger than any single database can. But on the opposite side of that, I worked for a manufacturer who did have uh, experience centers and we invested a tremendous amount of money in those. And there is something to be said about seeing it in person. Number one, anybody can get something to look good at a trade show for a day. Amen, the, sister. <laughs> the long time running of something is different. There are some things additional to that that you can't see over a computer screen. And so I'll, my LED will show right now. You can't tell the difference of LED on a computer screen. You have to see it in person. You have to be able to show those things and show what those differences are and do your distances and all of those things. And, and so the physical experience, it means something, um, whether you have an experience center or not. And I think this is where, so the Avixa side will come together and, how we think the future is going to go, which is that hybrid model. You guys are right. There is something to be said about these, these virtual events and, and the digital age that we've come into. This year, I think, was my fifth Infocom. I don't know that I've ever actually sat through a session until this year. <laughs> I didn't manage to get to sit in sessions at ISE because I was running around crazy. Yeah. So the virtual nature of this is fantastic. I actually got to learn. I got to sit and listen, and it was fantastic. Um, but there is that missing piece of the physical nature of getting on the floor and seeing all of those technologies and making those connections. And I think that's the, the learning 
piece that comes together. Everybody's asked Dave and they've asked us, well, what did you learn? Well, I think we learned that there's more to be done to bring the person who's sitting behind the computer screen into the room with us and how do we engage everyone together? But it's, it's not one or the other. I, um, I, I, if anybody saw during Infocom Connected, I had a little Twitter exchange and I, I said something, I, I used a, a Taylor Swift quote actually, <laughs> somewhat embarrassingly, but I talked a little bit about how everybody can wear a crown. We can. It is our job to not only educate our buyer, but to educate our partners. And we all have to do that together in the ecosystem. I would like to point out the fact that I didn't realize that that, that was a Taylor Swift lyric. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and I'm very proud of that fact, just for the record. All right. PSNI Global Alliance has announced this week the formation of a global services committee. The committee aims to standardize the integration service and support for their clients worldwide. This comes after two years of PSNI setting out and expanding their their network, really. Um, they started, uh, I want to say the first uh, first or second um, integration firm that they, they picked up outside of the U.S. Was, was in the U.K., but they've quickly, quickly grown that uh, globally. Frank, I want to start with you on this. What sort of standards can, can PSNI hope to spread globally? All right, so I'm going to put on my IT person's hat for a couple of minutes now. Oh, this is awesome. Yes, please go ahead. Because <laughs> uh, I have an IT background. I'm not mm -hmm. one of those wonderful guys who have an audio background who will talk about 60s because I will sit through those conversations with you. You talk about beautiful music and I will go, okay. I'm, I, not that I don't like music, but you know, sometimes the depth at which AV people talk about audio just goes straight over me. Right? So I'm an IT person. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. All right. But IT people are the ones and zeros people, right? And when it comes to AV, I always have a, uh, a joke that I tell some of my friends. If we are the ones and zeros people, AV people are the people who put emojis next to it. You know, we try to, we have, we put, you know, we put love into it. We put feelings into it. We put emotions into it. Can now, I the steal reason that? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I plan to. <laughs> I plan to steal it. So if we talk about emotions and feelings, this is my segue into standards. Unfortunately, that's not how standards work, right? Standards need to be based on the lowest common denominator. The biggest issue that I see with a lot of AV standards or attempts at AV standards, AV standards is in itself a joke because, you know, we can go on a tangent right now talking about AV standards because we don't have standards, right? And the reason we don't have them is because our companies, our engineers, our manufacturers, our integrators are always striving for excellence. Now, we're trying to get that amazing product that everybody can agree on. That's not how IT did it. IT got the lowest thing and got people to agree on it, and then we built up on it, right? So I like the fact that PSNI is trying to get together standards for uh, installation and services and all that side of it, but I think we should always aim for the lowest and try to build up on it. Once we do that, I mean, IT had Token Ring has a standard at one point. It was a standard. I mean, it doesn't make sense logically, but it was a standard. What happens is when the standard does not work, we will have that same group of people come back and say, this is not working. We need to change this, right? But we got to have a starting point. We got to have everybody to agree on something. And that in itself is the definition of a standard, something that's widely accepted. We need to get acceptance. In order to get acceptance, we need more 
you know, buy-in. Everybody needs to buy-in. The big integrators, the mom and pop shops, everybody comes together. So am I saying that you all have to do that? No, absolutely not. You can innovate. You can absolutely go ahead of that. You can do things much better. You can say, hey, I've been doing this for 50 years. I don't need to do it that way. I know to do it better. But if you come and look at my system, you understand that mine is an upgrade of your standard. And that's, and that's, that's how I think it should work. You know, just that's how an IT person would think. So, so you realize that there are a number of people in the industry who would disagree with you. I'm sure. When you, when you say that there are no AV standards. Uh, yeah, I, I should probably rephrase it. There are too many AV standards. Okay, right? well, see, that's a totally <laughs> different statement, though. There are way too many, but then that's not a standard, right? Well, yeah, the whole, the whole joke is the, the, the nice thing about standards is there's so many to choose from, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, coming from an old, uh, an old programmer, and we can argue about which, which pen is hot on the, R, on the RS-232 connector. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Joey, one of the groups that, that would argue that there are, are, there are, that there are standards is, is Avixa. Um, when you talk to groups like, the, like, like you know, uh, PSNI and, and obviously the Global Alliance and other ones, uh, other folks that are that are looking to expand globally and expand the AV experience globally, where can uh, they partner with groups like Avixa and like CD and other um, overarching bodies to help you know not only not not necessarily borrow from from your standards, but to take uh, the leadership role that you guys have, have shown with your standards and with the ANSI accredited standards, but also kind of augment it like Frank was saying and make it, maybe make them better in a regional specific um, because the U S has different standards and different needs than the UK does. And then China does. And then and India does. There's a whole mouthful around this. So <laughs> I, I think what Frank, there, there's a couple things that I, I want to talk through and, and I'm going to bring in that, that manufacturing background. One of my biggest challenges as a marketer at a manufacturer was that anybody can say anything. And there is no way to double check it. There is no way to say that's wrong. This is right. Um, my favorite was the 100,000 hour versus the 50,000 hour bulb. And they do really different things. And they may have right and wrong for each individual user. But the fact that anybody can just get out and say anything, and that's not the standards that we talk about at Avixa, that's a very specific thing. That's one of the things that I think is lacking in the industry. You know, you don't, you don't have that, like when you go think about your house and the appliances you put in your house, there are standards, right? You just know that you're going to get those. You go to Home Depot, no matter what you look at, you're going to get a standard. And, and AV is, we're not doing that. Um, from the Avixa standpoint and the idea of full standards for your entire installation and the entire project that you're working on, um, I think it's great that the industry is, is coming together and, and wants to see more of it. Um, I think it benefits our buyers and at the end of the day that's why we're all here right is we have to put in systems that our buyers can count on and if they work for as long as they say they're going to work and they meet the client expectation and they do all those things we're all doing really good so the fact that more people are interested in coming together that's fantastic um you know what i picked up when i read the psni article was the fact that how many of those folks are cts certified you know, that are part of that. And so this is the baseline for that. The certifications of having people who really know what they're doing, not just somebody who's like, oh yeah, I, I, I know how to do that. I, I can do that, sure, right? But really knowing that there's an education and, and a piece behind that that people understand, 
plus you add the standard to that for the entire system. And I think the industry as a whole moves up together. And I guess the saying goes, uh, a rising tide raises all ships. Is that how that goes? I think so, yeah. That works. Dawn, final question on this. You work for a multinational corporation. What exactly do companies uh, that do have multiple locations around the globe, what are they looking for? from an integrator and from a, from a, a, a global partner uh, should they need one. So I'm going to back up a half a step mm-hmm. because as, as Tim knows and the rest of you might not know, prior to becoming a, an end user multinational person in the past couple of years, I spent most of my career as an integrator in a very small, in a small, very small mom and pop integration firms. And our big selling point, I was director of marketing, so I pushed the hell out of this, was Yes, you could bring in your AVISPLs or, sorry, Frank, your Diversifieds or your whomevers and bring them in that you have working on your other locations. But can you guarantee that every location has the quality of work? Because I can guarantee in our market, our little firm will provide you with quality work that you might get from some of the locations of your big integrator, but you might not. So that was always my selling point working for a mom and pop. Well, now I've completely flipped it. I work for an end user. I work for an end user with 90,000 plus employees around the globe. And I'm in charge of locations around the US and around the globe. And the first thing I did when I got in charge of writing specs and um, statements of work for going out to bid to integrators was I included must have CTS on staff, preferred CTSI, CTSD, must, you know, preference given to APEX certified companies, um, we put right in there that you will be checked not just on your, you know, NEC standards for the electrical work and that kind of stuff. You'll be checked on your AVIXA standards for projection image size and those sorts of things. And I put that right in my documentation. Now, granted, I may not follow around with a light meter and go within a, you know, exact measurement that, yes, you did succeed that. But just the very fact of including that on the specs weeds out the folks that oh, sure, I could do that, as Joey said. You know, it it makes people have a level of craftsmanship and a level of quality that we can then use to select vendors that, you know, I'm here in Baltimore, D.C. area. If I'm working on a project in California or Huntsville or the U.K. or Australia, I can find an integrator that will meet a minimum standard of acceptable work by adhering to these standards. And I have a a, a, um, commissioning, uh, you know, Back when I was an integrator, I took the how to be an Apex company class at Infocom. I have the checklist and I have it in an app that when I go to a job site, I go through the app on the final walkthrough with the integrator and I say, okay, I see you did that. I see you did that. Uh, Can you fix that? Because it doesn't match the standard. And I can take photo documentation, send it to them on a punch list and they can take care of it. So, you know, that's a big thing for a company our size to make sure that we're getting quality work. We're, we're, an under, there's less than a dozen of us in charge on the AV team for our entire part of the company worldwide. We're relying on the facilities folks and the IT folks in the various locations to babysit these high tech rooms. And they might not know what's going on with AV, but if we can get them built remotely to a standard, then at least we know it's not someone didn't terminate a wire correctly. You know, and, and I've said it to Tim a few times on various shows. You know, the big thing is 
We love the big integrators that have multiple branches around the world. We love you, Diversified. I was working with some of your guys today at our, our location here in Baltimore. But with the AVIs, SPLs, and the Diversifieds, and the whomevers, all the big names on that list that they publish every year, if you can guarantee every single location has the same standard, I'll work with you all day long. But you have to prove that to me. And I think that PSNI coming up with this standards across their member companies is fantastic because that gives us a little bit closer to that guarantee. You can hire from someone from PSNI Global Alliance and you'll get the same quality of work. So, Just, just so it's been said, Diversified is a member of PSNI. So yeah, oh, there you go. If I, if I can just add something. Yeah, uh, and Don, excellent point, Joe. It's still great hearing these things, right? And my previous comments, uh, I'd like to add something, right? The CTS, the CTSD, and the CTSI program are probably some of the most intense learning experiences that a person can have. And I say this as somebody has more, who has more than, probably have like 14 certifications from the Cisco's and the Microsoft's. I'm a certification junkie, right? And something that, does, that the Evixa exams and the learning material give you that the others don't, is that they actually try to give you standards. Right. So it's a great starting point. So if somebody does, and I will completely support Don and Joe's points to this, if somebody does want to establish standards, I do feel that the CTS program, CTSDs and the CTSIs, they should be absolutely included and should be a starting point. So give high five points. to everybody. <laughs> Virtual high five. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, last story here comes from our own website, avnation.tv. Como Audio is moving manufacturing to the United States. Tom DeVesto, the CEO, created a start engine equity crowdfunding campaign, which I did not know even existed. Uh, start engine is actually a pretty cool website. Um, DeVesto says that the COVID pandemic, quote unquote, has taught us that the U.S. is over dependent on foreign manufacturing, end quote. This comes to us as the government has put some products on no buy lists, such as Huawei. There are a number of AV companies who already do manufacture a majority of their products in the U.S. There are some components, though, however, uh, currently uh, that are most cost effective to be made in China. Joey, both sides here again, manufacturing as well as from Avixa. How do we get around uh, the bottleneck of, of chips and silicone coming from China? Or, or is there not a way to do it right now? I don't know that I agree with the quote out of the article. I, I don't think that the pandemic illuminated this, quite honestly. Um, but I do think that it's, it's a challenge. We are well aware that many things in our lives are coming from out of the country, whether it's the components and parts in our, our electronics or it's the clothes that we wear or plenty of other things that are in our life. And to, not to make any kind of political statement, but there is there is something to be to be said there. And how do we bring some of that back to the United States? How do we figure that out? Uh, it's an interesting place. I mean, we've got some of our manufacturers who are able to do some things here in the states, um, and I know a lot of this from the again from the LED world. So we've got like our DAX of the world who are able to manufacture high pixel pitch here in the United States, and it's fantastic. And it's a it's a big selling feature when you talk about the back end systems and what's being built in the U.S. and how it's not using things from China and you know, complications that we hear for companies like Huawei, but there's no one really that has the the space and there are people talking around me and the um 
the technical skill set here in the United States to manufacture those items. So will crowdfunding do it? I, I don't know. Our customers are also going to lead this battle. And if they want the cheapest, then we're going to still have to get those pieces from elsewhere. And it becomes the pixels by the pound. It's, you know, how quickly can you get the box? And we've definitely seen some challenges in the past two years, I would say. And it started, it started well before the pandemic. It started with what was going on um, with the tariffs and how that was changing the industry. And, and you know, you heard a lot about the, the taxes and, and, you know, how were they being distributed? Who was paying for what? You know, if you bought here, did it matter there? It's, this has been an ongoing endeavor, and I don't think it's only brought on by the pandemic. Don, uh, we're, we're, uh, besides government, let's just put it a, a rubber stamp over government, right? Um, how many segments uh, in, in just in general, right? Whatever vertical you're looking at, how many of them rely on or insist on U.S. manufacturing? Well, I might not be the best one to answer this just because of my, where, where I live and work my entire career is so proximal to government that even companies that aren't government or specific government contra contractors are, are somehow peripherally working with the government. So law firms, banks, you know, every, everybody, we're so entrenched with the federal system here and the, and the various state systems that you can't build a space that wouldn't meet at least some level of government, you know, ability to, to have meetings. That said, um, you know, there's still, there's still a lot of private corporations out there that just, eh, they don't give a rip. They'll put in whatever. Um, I mean, the big thing is, though, you have to be aware that you don't know. It, it, is your entire client base going to successfully never touch the government vertical? Are they successfully never going to do business with the government that you can avoid being worried about that? And to that matter, big corporations that generally don't care, you really should. You know, you hear every day about you know, cyber crime and all of this. I mean, it's not always just going after government secrets. They're out there to steal your millions and they're out to steal your customers' millions. And if you don't, you know, care where your products come from, that's great. You could get a cheaper, you know, um, mixer, you could get a cheaper matrix, you could get a cheaper video wall or speaker or mic, but what's it going to cost you down the road? You know, you got to think about things like that, especially as we get more into our technology. We've talked different times about cybersecurity and liability and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as, as things move forward, these companies are going to start being held liable for data breaches. And if those data breaches come about because you cheaped out on your, your mic or your speaker and went with something made, you know, made less for, for less money overseas, that's going to be an issue so that you need to be concerned with. Obviously, in my current role, I can't even look at you if you're made in certain companies or countries. And uh, I've, I've gone through some companies lately trying to find, <laughs> Joey, some LED walls that <laughs> were not made substantially in China. And as I pointed out to the folks that were my customers then, 99.9% .9 of all LEDs on the planet are manufactured at least in part in China, if not entirely. It's a matter of finding the ones that are least manufactured there that we could then get blessed by security. So, you know, it, it's, it's something everybody, regardless of vertical, should be aware of and something you be, should be concerned with. And so news from Como, granted, they're mainly commercial audio or, I mean, consumer audio, but more companies should look at, at taking that step because even though these are resi guys, I would be allowed to buy them for any of my facilities.
And the more commercial companies out there that are listening that can make that switch, even if it costs a little bit more up front, make it because then you would have so much more opportunity. That's where we are. It's, you know. <laughs> Frank, you get, you get to wrap up this with, with both of those really fine comments because I'm, gonna, I'm taking it both and, and let you, you go to town on this. But Joey said something about it being driven by the client, by the customers, right? And, and, and Dawn's kind of saying the same thing, only they're, they're, they're saying it in different ways because Joey's talking about the price, which is legitimate, right? And Dawn's worried about the, the security of it. So when it comes down to it, yes, folks want, you know, they, they want to be secure, but good God, don't raise the prices on them. So, right. so how do you as a designer, as an engineer go, geez, okay, sure. So um, I, you know, first of all, shout out to Coma Audio for trying to do this. It's a great endeavor. I checked out their Start Engine website. I might, you know, go ahead and invest in them because yeah. I like it. I like the idea of uh, bringing things back to the United States. Now, me liking it means nothing because the problem is from an economy of scale perspective, I doubt, and this is going to sound very, very, uh, you know, cynical. I don't think that U.S. manufacturing can ever compete on a large scale level to the, you know, the, the price effort of it, you know, it's like, it's simply very difficult to compete from a price perspective because that's just how China as a country has, you know, modeled themselves as a manufacturing nation, right? Now this is going to be very hard to continue on this without getting political about it, but, <laughs> but let me just say that I feel that manufacturers bring back components, bring back what you can to the United States. But there are certain things that the United States is great at, you know, and I think what has happened is in an effort to increase your numbers, they've forgotten what we're really good at. We are great at innovation. We are the creators. We are, you know, the people who've invented things. You know, we've, we're the people who've done things differently. So is the large scale manufacturing going to be challenging? Is it going to increase the price? Maybe. Can you do it differently? If somebody can find an answer to it, you know, we in the United States should be able to do that, you know? So I think the key to this is that we got to focus on these three golden tickets. And I'm going to yell it out to all the manufacturers out there. Focus on your innovation, focus on AI and focus on data, you know, because these are the things that's going to determine tomorrow where your product stands. There's not going to be a product out there that is not in some way or form connected to these three things. Focus on that. And, you know, if you want to add value, if you want to up your price because of the manufacturing, add value that you can also bring in in-house, uh, you know, innovations to it. Like, sure, it's a speaker, but this is what my speaker does, and it's only done in the United States, right? So I think that's a, that's a better way of looking at it. But quite honestly, from a pure scale perspective, I don't know. It's really going to be challenging. Maybe better trade relations, maybe increasing on, you know, connections with other countries, maybe looking at alternatives. I'm sure all these wonderful people have thought about these things, and I'm not going to add anything that's probably not been thought of. But at the same time, as a consumer, sure, it gives me confidence to know that this product was made in the United States. But it also means, where's your clients at, right? There are countries where products made in the United States are not as popular right now. So you got to find the right balance. You just have to find the right balance, and you got to target your clients. You got to grow your product. But focus on our strengths. That is innovation. There's no question about it. Innovation is our strength. So you got to focus on that. All right. That's a good way to, good place to end it. Uh, thank you all so much. Ms. Dawn Mead, thank you. Uh, how do people get a hold of you or, uh, or AV Dawn if they are so inclined? Well, as I mentioned in the last segment there, 
who I work for, I can't tell you because I'd have to kill you. But uh, <laughs> being proximal to DC, I think you could probably have some guesses. Um, but you can always find me online at AV Dawn on the socials. And if you don't find me AV Dawn on the socials, it's Dawn Mead, just like the fort, M-E-A-D-E. And of course, you can always find me right here on avnation.tv, both appearing periodically on this show and hosting the AV Social Show with the lovely Kelly Perkins. Yep, absolutely. And they just uh, they just posted a new one about a week or so ago, so you can check that, check that out. Uh, Frank, incredibly, incredibly awesome to get you on the show, dude. I, 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 I again, it was a happy accident that we ended up in a in a uh, virtual room together, and and uh, so I, I thank you. So, how do people get a hold of you or uh, or Diversified? Uh, well, Diversified is Diversified. Everybody knows Diversified. So I, I hopefully it shouldn't be to find it too difficult to find Diversified. I am on Twitter, probably more than I should be. Um, you can find me at Frank Patacala. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, I think I have Instagram, but you'd have to DM me because those come to my emails. As you did. So uh, I'm there and hopefully, you know, I'll find uh, more interaction, more opportunities to interact with wonderful people like yourself here at AV Nation and, you know, all you wonderful people. So, you know, right. I'll be there. Good. I appreciate it. Joey, thank you, ma'am. Uh, how do people get a hold of you or, uh, or Avixa? Well, you can find us at avixa.org. You can find me at jloyd at avixa.org or just email my boss, Dave Lubuskis. And in addition to that, you can find me on all of the Twitters at Joe Lloyd. Don't. Don't email her boss. He, he's, he's, he's please, weird. please don't email my boss. He's weird. All right, <laughs> he's not weird. He's a really good guy. Um, uh, for me, for uh, Tim Albright, don't follow me on the Twitters, uh, but go by the website if you would, please. Avnation.tv. That's Avnation.tv. Some really great people put in a whole lot of hard work, and we have a brand spanking new one. Sort of brand new. It's about a month old. It's still new to me, uh, but it's really great. Uh, they, they did some renovations. Uh, our, our editor, uh, Lenora Lane, kind of drove that and, and led that uh, that push. So. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Also, let us know if something breaks or you can't find something. That's also important, especially on a new website. Also, while you're there, please check out our underwriter section. These are folks who help us financially, help us bring you AV Week and Resi Week and all the others in Dawn's AV, AV Socials. Check that out. Uh, all that and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week. <laughs>